Hi, I'm Irene Yanku, and this is my podcast. I have spent my entire career in dentistry learning. Learning about new technology, techniques to better my clinical skills, and now I'm a practice owner and leader. In life as a learner, I've noticed my truest love for learning has not been about teeth or what material is best to use for a core buildup. It's been learning about people in our dental community. The educators, scientists, clinicians, business owners, and advocates, their stories, their lives, their why, and their what's next. Getting to know them as humans, identifying how they work, what their rituals are, while highlighting them as the true trailblazers in dentistry. And that's what I do here on the show. So hold on to your suction. It's about to get slippery here on the Tooth or Dare podcast. Welcome back, peeps, to another episode of the Tooth or Dare podcast. If you're a peep, Irene, hello, how are you? If you're watching this on YouTube, hi, nice to see you. If you're listening to this in the car, hello, I hope you're having a great day. Um, welcome back to another episode recorded live at um, Voices of Dentistry. Voices of Dentistry is a really interesting conference where KOLs get to speak. This year I got to speak one of my lectures, uh, which is on YouTube as well as Can. S word employees make great leaders is also a podcast episode and generally it's all podcasters and the listeners of podcasts that attend we get to record uh, on our own little table at like a mini booth and uh, I got a lot of content so this is the first of many episodes that will be released from the Voices of Dentistry conference and specifically with a really cool person his name is Perrin Desports he's not a dentist uh, not a dental professional in, in any designation, but he's a really smart businessman. Um, and he shares the story of how he and his father were in business together and sold their company to a big manufacturer and kind of the journey through his struggles and successes being a, a business person working with dental people um, and kind of how he navigated through that and how he's navigated through life. Now uh, opening up his own bigger company called Polaris Healthcare Partners where he takes individual dental practices uh, and builds them up to 20, 50, hundreds of locations, kind of like how to create your own DSO. Um, so I encourage you to listen to this part one and there'll be a part two next week as well with Perrin. Um, and if you want to connect with him, you know, description stuff's below. A little bit of a life update for me. Um, wow, it's been kind of a whirlwind. It's Monday morning. I'm on my way to the office. And uh, this weekend was a really remarkable weekend. I got to attend two different conferences. Flew out on Thursday to attend uh, the Spear Summit in Arizona. And if you don't know what Spear is, it's... Uh, uh, Dr. Frank Spear created this like amazing educational facility, plus created content uh, for, I don't, I'm not even doing it justice, it's just like a, an elevated level of excellent dental education. How, how better can I describe it? And I um, alluded to the fact that I have been invited to, to speak for them. I have two webinars that are coming up, and I want to encourage you to register them for them because they're free. Um, 
my first lecture, which is coming up on July 27th. It's called The Surgical Checklist, and it's the Dental Hygienist's Guide to Post-Operative Patient Care for Patients that have had implants done or surgical interventions done, what we should be looking for, how we should be monitoring, and how we should be preventing implant failures early by methods that we can use in our assessments. So the link of that is going to be below. So I encourage you to register for it. There's one that's coming up in August as well, so I'll, I'll keep you updated with the link for that one a little bit closer too. But if you do want to be eager and register for them now, the link is in my Instagram bio. So you can navigate to my Instagram bio and grab the, the links to register early. Um, and that would be really cool. So thank you for having me at your Spear Summit this weekend. It was wonderful. And then I was there for a couple of days. I got to hear uh, some remarkable speakers with that just perform exceptional dentistry. Um, and then I flew to Star of the North, which is in Minnesota, and I got to speak yesterday twice. Um, not yesterday, the day before. What day is it? It's Monday. I was there on Saturday. I did a three-hour lecture in the morning and a three-hour lecture in the afternoon, which is probably why my voice is sounding so, like, raspy, Macy Gray. Um, so, yeah, that was my weekend yesterday. Lou and I were vegetables on the couch for most of the day after, you know, flying home, 6 a.m., Air Canada, losing my luggage again, um, finding it and navigating through Toronto traffic. Um, we're celebrating here in Toronto that our Toronto Maple Leafs have made it through to through the first round of the playoffs, which hasn't happened in 19 years. So it's the city was like basically shut down. It took me three hours to get home from the airport, which normally is like a 20 minute drive. I digress. Um, so here's the episode with Perrin Desports at Voices of Dentistry. And stay tuned for the part two and register for below. Register for my um, my spear webinar. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day. Peace out, peeps. Welcome back, peeps, to an episode of the Tooth or Dare podcast, peeps, with your peep, Irene. And I have a guest today... Hello, Perrin. Hello, Irene. Desportes. Is that how you say it in French? Uh, I de, know you. you Deport. 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 Um, I am very excited to have this conversation with you, Thank and you. I'm sure that our listeners are also very excited. They have no idea what's in store for them. Yeah, right? you know. the most exciting financial discussion. <laughs> you will like buckle up, oh peeps. Lord. Buckle up. Before we get into the kind of more detailed financial discussions, I want to get a little get to know you a little sure. bit. I mean, I know you from trade shows and from your partnership with Mark Costas. Sure. And um, I need to know a little bit more about you, your involvement with Polaris. But let take me back to like, where did you grow up? Yeah, where were so, you born? And So I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. And um, you can kind of say that I was born into the business side of dentistry, as boring as that may sound. But my family owned a dental distribution business um, headquartered out of Columbia, South Carolina called Thompson Dental Company. Okay. And the company was founded um, in 1899 by my great-grandfather, James Perrin Thompson. Uh, I was fourth generation in that business. My dad was president and CEO, and my grandfather was chairman of the board. So you were born into a legacy, basically. I was. And there are not many family businesses that make it through three or four generations. So kind of a, an interesting uh, interesting company and an interesting you know, family business to be a part of. We ended up selling the business in April of 2002 to Patterson, not for 
really financial or operational reasons, but due to, I'll say, poor equity transition planning mm. reasons. And, you know, when you have a successful family business, it's kind of an illiquid asset. And right. my father um, ha- has two sisters, um, neither of whom worked in the business, nor did their husbands, nor did any of their kids. Okay. And upon Which seems to be a trend. I mean, usually there's there's one, but... Uh, more now than before, I guess. Before there was this expectation that you didn't want to disappoint your parents, and right. that, well, I'll do it because dad was a farmer or mom was yep. a dentist or whatever it is. But now that kids are, you know, connected to their phones and society so much more, they're yeah, veering away from more family m- trends. Yeah, more mobile, like right. literally speaking. And you know, I think the my upon my grandfather's ultimate demise i mean he was 82 at the time i think or maybe 84 at the time um you know his estate was going to be set up to be share and share alike so you can kind of do the quick math you know if you got two family members who own a third a third and a third you can easily outvote the one who's responsible for running the business and so you know that was challenging and and family business isn't all it's cracked up to be and you know i'm I'm grateful for my time with my family. I wish I could have worked with my father for longer. Um, But I also saw some of the ugly underbelly of family business at an early age, and that was a little disconcerting, too. What kind of thing, what kind of lessons did you learn in that that have led you to where you have taken your businesses today? Like you said, you wish you would have worked with your father for longer. How was that time working with dad? It was, I didn't, I never worked directly for, I never reported to him. This was... Um, you know, I, I joined the company in 1995 when I was about 24 and we sold it in April of 2002. I would have been 31 at the time. And my dad was uh, a visionary in the business. He, he was innovative in a lot of ways. Dental distribution is kind of hard to be innovative with. But, hmm. you know, um, we bootstrapped our own practice management software company. It started out as what's known as a Unix system way, way, way back before the days of Windows. And mm-hmm. then really funded a software development group that I ended up uh, leading the sales arm with, not the the code development side. But that was, I mean, it's commonplace now if you look around. I mean, heck, there are, you know, tons of software-oriented AI-type businesses. But back in, you know, the the mid-90s, you know, or or, or late 80s, early 90s, that was altogether unheard of. I mean, so, you know, that was a... um, an interesting way to get to work with my father, but not work for him and also be able to kind of blaze my own path that he hadn't done the way he came up through the business. Mm. And I think that was something where you can kind of not live in the shadow of your father, but kind of create your own successes that yeah. weren't dependent upon him. You know, and I, I'm, I'm a pretty motivated person and, and I never really tried to ride any coattails to the best of my ability at mm. least. So it was a it was a great experience for a short period of time and um, was you know I, I always look back on those years fondly. That being said, when Patterson bought the business, um, I ended up staying on with them for 15 years. I ran three different businesses for them, and I I, I got to swing a bigger bat maybe uh, mm-hmm. than I would have at the at the family business. What do they do with your company? Okay, let's take let's take a step back. Hmm? So you, your family is devoted decades of the, of its life, maybe a century. How how when did yeah, you? Yeah, it was one hundred and one years. Okay, old, so or 103 a, a, years, yeah. my mental math led me to close to ninety years. Yeah. 
So a century of, of business development with a lack of sustainable technology because your business was growing as technology was changing. So you got to a point where uh, you couldn't scale it any further without the support of a, a, a bigger entity, perhaps. That lead to the sale? Well, I mean, I would say that the equity, poor equity transition okay. planning is what precipitated the sale because to for a business, a distribution business, that is debt financed, right. you know, for inventory, right. for payroll. Yeah. Um, Fluctuating costs. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and a large fixed cost structure to it uh, and, and low incremental margins. Right. Um, you know, very successful in its own right, but difficult to, to operate and manage. When you think about having to buy out two-thirds of the ownership yeah. to maintain control of it, there's just not enough debt funding to go around. It would have right. been a crushing burden. Right. I mean, the business, we're not talking about a $100 million value company here. Right. Don't get me wrong. But, right. you know, it's its a lot of leverage to take right. on. Uh, so, so what did they do with the company once? So Patterson um, and, and the family business was Thompson Dental Company. Basically, we're the same structured company. We were we had 14 branches, if memory served me correct, from about Baltimore through uh, Orlando, Florida, I think. Yeah. And Patterson, uh, national company, company publicly traded, had a presence in the southeast, but didn't have a strong presence, especially in the Carolinas where we were. Uh, so it was a it, it was an acquisition that was geographic in nature, right. um, and very complementary in terms of lack of territorial overlap. Right. Uh, so. You know, you look back on it and you say, wow, there were four, about 400 employees uh, in Thompson Dental Company at the time. Wow. And um, most all of them uh, that wanted to stay on with Patterson had the opportunity to do that. That's now, great. things like marketing department and the uh, bookkeeping and accounting weren't necessary. Or, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was some headcount attrition. But mm-hmm. for the sales, for the operation, the branch operations and sales generating uh, positions, uh, revenue generating positions, all uh all of almost all of them found a home at Patterson, and I and I was one and of those. And you were one of them. Yeah. And of course, they would. I mean, that that would have been a smart negotiation in that transition process to keep you on in order to help with the operations. And well, kind of I, I mean, so my father, so my father didn't want to move to Minneapolis uh, and didn't didn't want to take on a, a regional leadership position because he felt like a lot of his leadership team was better equipped to do that, mm. and. And if he'd been with the family business for uh, a long time, I don't know how many years, probably 30 mm. years or more at that, at that point, more than 30. So he also felt like if he stayed on post-acquisition, that a lot of the employees wouldn't be able to make a break with the past yeah. and embrace the new employer. They right. would constantly want to look back to him for the way things were. Sure. And so he, he transitioned out shortly thereafter. That's a, that's a very humble and clear-minded decision to make. And I applaud him for that because, you know, there, there's two sides to being a business owner. There's the, the mathematical side where sure. you have to understand that decisions are made in and around you and that you may be the problem. So he was able to really analyze that, I, mean, I guess, to grow a company that yep. of that size and that scale. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting thing that he was able to make that decision without um, any external influence. Yeah, I mean, I think... Or was there? Was there no. was there a little advisor on his shoulder that said, "Hey, let's let's talk about this. Do you think that you staying on would be for the best?" 
I think the leadership at Patterson wanted him to stay on, but I think that was something that he recognized early on yeah. um, that wouldn't be it wouldn't be the best thing for the former Thompson employees, and it sure. arguably wouldn't have been the best thing for Patterson either. Right. So, you know, I. I think or even for your dad. Like, who knows yeah. what those decisions were that were to be made, and maybe he disagreed with them. Like, maybe, yeah, yeah it, it would be it would be tough to to be to go from being the CEO of the business for a couple of decades to taking orders from somebody else and not being able to call the shot. You know, Interesting. so um, yeah. But it, I mean, he had a great career, obviously, with yeah. it, and and um, it was a, a right time for him to exit. And so you for, stayed on for three years. You said I, 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 no, I stayed on for fifteen years wow, and, okay. and ran uh, three different businesses for him. Oh, so okay. I moved around a, a good bit um, through my uh, decade and a half with Patterson. I ran the Richmond, Virginia sales office for about four years. I ran Metro New York, New Jersey for four years. And then Charlotte was, uh, North Carolina was the last seven years. So what does that mean? What is a day in the life? And what was your title, your official title um, at the time? General manager or branch manager. Um, basically, at Patterson, the way they used to have it constituted, the branch manager had full P&L responsibility of that operation. Break, and that, the, break that down for the so, listeners at home that don't know what that means. So yeah. what does that, if so you could build this, uh, I don't know, an intricate graph of yep. hierarchy, you were here, what does that mean for the people below and above you? Yeah, so, so Patterson had about 75 to 80 operating branches at that point in time. And the person who uh, ran the branch... Um, was, it was kind of like, I used to say, it's like being the CEO of your own business with a bigger company behind you. So mm-hmm. having full P&L responsibility means that you're responsible for the top line uh, revenue growth, the bottom line profitability, and everything that happens in between it. And in, a, in an operating branch for Patterson, you have a, a, a sales arm the people who call on dentist and sell cotton rolls or sell capital equipment people technology. People that come to your office exactly. and connect with you. Yep. Yeah. Then you have the tech service component, uh, the people that the men usually that ride around in vans and fix things when they break. Yep. And then you have an internal support infrastructure that's like operations, scheduling, customer service, inbound telephone support, that kind of thing. Yeah. All of that was oriented at a at an operating branch level at Patterson. Yeah. So when I say it's like being the CEO of your own business with a bigger company behind you, it really kind of is. You run that entire location. So there's one in Toronto, for example, mm-hmm. which is where I went. I, I outfitted my practice from yep. Patterson. So I went to the Toronto branch, which was near the airport, um, and I met with my sales rep and also the director of sales there and a couple of people from Sirona. Um, yeah. So the person... Uh, and the guy's name that ran that branch at the time, oh, it'll it'll come to me. Um, oh, I can see his face. I just can't remember <laughs> his name. Hopefully he he's not listening to the he podcast. He hasn't been right? with Patterson uh, for a year and a half. Now. Okay. I think he's moved to a different uh, different company. But anyway, so so that entire building, all of the the people, the resources, are his responsibility, and he reports to the national or or a regional, or a regional president, president they call it. yep got mm-hmm. it okay yep. so that's a big responsibility so there were likely i don't know a, f- a few thousand people so working the, in and around you so for us um let me think real quick i would say the branches that i ran uh varied in size between 
Um, the smallest one was about 30 people, and the largest one was about 85, if I remember correctly. Okay. And, you know, sales volume was probably in the, I don't remember this, like 25 to $40 million range, something like okay. that. And we called on um, any number of customers that would have numbered about... A thousand on the low end to about five thousand on the high end, okay. if I remember correctly. Interesting. So, so that yeah. that must have really been quite a hmm, how do I uh, formative fifteen years. It absolutely was for and, you. And and they they really entrust Patterson really back in the day entrusted the the branch manager to call the shots, and and that was one of the most. Uh, nerve-wracking things and one of the most liberating things that I loved about the role early on. It changed over time, mm. but you really, they trusted you with a lot, you know, yeah. and I was, when I started with them, um, I was 31, I was the youngest person in the Richmond branch, and I was running the damn thing, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I did you know what you were doing? Or did no. You, did you fake it till oh, you God. made it? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, what did that like? They handed you the keys, the keys to the castle. Yes. Yeah. Said don't they said, screw don't it up. Screw it up. Yeah. Don't set it you on know? fire. Here's, here's your training program. Call 911. So yeah. um, it was, there's, I mean, they did teach you a good bit about business. Some of it you had. Was there an onboarding process back then? A as little there bit are of now? one. Uh, not, not the way there is it's now. Like here's the laptop. The password is Patterson one two three. Yeah, okay. yeah, and capital P. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, don't leave the caps lock on. Yeah. Um, so it, I would say a lot of it was on the job training and learning on the fly. But they really evaluated the people who were taking those roles as to what their judgment was and their ability to make decisions. And a lot of that comes down to how you handle customers and how you can guide and lead uh, your team. And then also the recruiting piece of it of how you bring um, high-level talent into the organization. And if you can do those things, you're probably going to be a success. You're not guaranteed by any stretch. but You're going you're, to be a success. Yeah. So how in that role did you define success? That's a good question. Um, there, I think there are a couple of different ways. There are two ways, really. Um, at the end of the day, Patterson's a publicly traded company. So, numbers. yeah, we all have uh, numbers to, to generate, um, to be accountable for, and to hit. Uh, and that's uh, on an annual basis, even though the company re reports quarterly earnings. But, you know, you had a budget um, that you helped set, uh, and you had revenue and profitability goals that you were, um, uh, you know, charged with meeting. And... Sometimes you had good years and sometimes you had lean years, you know, welcome, welcome to welcome the world of big, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think the second way beyond just the numbers side of it is, is the softer side of business. It's lead, in that role, it's leading through people, it's creating a culture, it's driving accountability. It's the things that are, that are the same, whether you're running a dental practice or a dental distribution company. Skills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's, it's a role that I really did enjoy for a number of years. It changed over those 15 years. The company went through a lot of changes, obviously, um, as well. And, you know, toward the end of those 15 years, it it was a different role and, and one that I was in my mid-40s at the time and just didn't, I didn't see myself um, doing for another 20 years, honestly. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that at that point, I was running the Charlotte branch. So you, was, interesting full circle, you made the decision that your dad made. Yeah, to in leave a different the business in a different way, a different but also way, in but a similar with a similar 
outcome? Well, I would say if you look at the decision my dad made, um, half of it is benevolent, if you will. The other half is uh, probably more from a, a control ori orientation. And mm. I, I talked about this in the presentation yesterday of that journey to exit Patterson. And, you know, after having been successful in it, I mean, the Charlotte branch won branch of the year for the last five years I was there. I mean, we were at the top of our game and, you know, I was pretty good in the role. I think I had a lot of great people working with me and, and we put up a lot of good numbers. But when you think about it, like, okay, I, I'm mid forties. If I'm going to work another maybe 20 years or, or more, like mm. I got to do this same job for that long. And yeah. I, I didn't think I had another 20 years in me. So then kind of step back and say, well, you know, I love the company, the role's changing. What are, what else is there? Well, above me is a regional presidency type of a role that covers 10 to 12 branches and six to eight states or something like that. A lot of travel, a yeah. lot more responsibility. Pack a bag on Monday morning and home come home Friday on Friday afternoon. Yeah. And I was newly married at the time and our daughter was, you know, two. And I didn't want to leave my wife and daughter behind for weeks on end. Um, you know, so I, w I didn't want to do that. My wife's an ophthalmologist and was part of a, a really good practice, a really good group in, uh, in Charlotte. So we weren't going to move to Minneapolis where the company was headquartered. Right. You know, so you sit there and kind of start doing the math and you're like. You do a pro uh, and cons list, I guess. It's a really, yeah. really short list because yeah. it sounds like more of a you problem, Perrin, than it is yeah. a company problem, right? Yeah. And that, that was what ultimately, you know, I don't want to say forced me, but led me to the conclusion that leaving Patterson was going to be the right thing for me. And if I did, I wanted to make sure that my next endeavor, whatever it was, that I was going to kind of be more in control of, of what my future was and uh, or was going to be. And I wanted to, to be a, an active participant in making it what I wanted it to be. So. I think that's important. And I mean, listeners are in all walks of dental life at this point, perhaps some of them are listening to this podcast and wondering what, in, what is this useful? And we talked about this earlier yeah. about reading a book, um, the first 90 days sure. which I'm rereading. And you said, Oh, I read that book 25 years ago. <laughs> and it's interesting because I, I started it two years ago. I put it down a quarter through cause it was like irrelevant information to me at the time. And now I'm picking it up again. It's like, I think I saw this in this book at one point you pick it off the shelf and shelf and you're in a different stage in life where that information is much more valuable so someone listening to this right now driving to work or home from work thinking oh I don't know I don't, what do I care about working at Patterson you never know if perhaps your future may lead you to a different direction similar to how your dad similar to you um, and uh, thinking of things a little bit more critically in the moment and it sounds like you do that and you're a numbers guy you're so there, a little bit you know, yeah. there are two types we were just sitting on another podcast and I'm looking across the table at Justin Moody and uh, and Papa Huska, and then you on the other side, and it's like there are two types of people in the world, and that table <laughs> represented it so beautifully. And I'm sitting in the middle, and I'm a little bit of both. Um, and it's it's interesting that we we go through so many different decisions every single day. When we get up, we go to work, we go to the gym, we don't go to the gym, um, and that might lead you to the person that you are becoming. For good, for bad. Yeah, I mean, I think there. But you, know, you have to re you have to open your your mind and your eyes in the moment and say, is this 
is this the gig? Like, yeah. is this the job that I want to do for the next 25 years? Is this the family life that I want to have? And yeah, we've got those grind years, you know, where yep. you, you grit and bear it and you don't take a paycheck and you work a little bit longer and a little bit harder and you suffer a little bit more, but you see that end in sight or you're beginning with that end before you begin. But I think many dental people don't have that vision where we think what we want is the nine to five. Um, but the reality is we want much more. Yeah. You know, dentistry, I was, I was, this is probably a much broader statement than what I was going to lead in with, but dentistry and a lot of other businesses for sure can lead themselves to be more like groundhog day. You mm. can have the same day over and over for 30 years yeah. if you allow it. And I think historically, um, it, it has sort of been that way because dentistry has uh, been a, a very um, evolutionary type of a uh, an industry, not a revolutionary type of an industry. Mm. And I don't think that um, we're living in those same times. And so when I talk with um, younger, new dentists or new people in the profession, or um, I've got to give a uh, a presentation to the Harvard Study Club when I'm in Boston next week, which is the wow. only way I'm just ever going to be able to... Yeah. Just a humble drop. Just a little well, it, uh, rolling let, of the eyes. Let, I've got to give a study club presentation yeah. to the Harvard... Well, oh. let, let me assure you, this is cool. the only way I'm ever going to be allowed on that campus <laughs> or, or and probably never be invited back. But um, so... I think you'll be okay. Uh, you know, there, I, I think when you're starting out um, in dentistry and... and or just thinking about your career, there's a great degree of intentionality, you know, and forward thinking that you have to apply now. And if you're new, um, you're, you're not, you should not be, in my opinion, at least, chasing a compensation rate. Look, we all, we all like making money. Sure. None of us do what we do for free, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you will have the opportunity over a long period of time to make a lot of money. What you're looking for early on in your career is a mentor, somebody mm -hmm. who will take you under their wing, um, spend time with you, give you guidance, accelerate your learning curve. And I had that early on in my career. I was fortunate because I didn't seek it and I arguably didn't appreciate it to the fullest mm -hmm. when I was in it. But somebody took an, a couple of people took an interest in me and spent time with me to save me from myself. Hmm. And I look back on that and just think like how fortunate I was and I didn't appreciate it in the moment. And if there's one bit of advice I can give to younger people, it's, it's that, and I'm 52, so hopefully I'm not that old, but um, <laughs> you know, I think under, understanding how you can gain experience through other people at a more rapid rate mm -hmm. is the ability to kind of scale yourself yeah. for lack of a better term. So, you know, there are things like that that when you, when you think about um, going back to the Groundhog Day and, and what dentistry can be, I, I think dentists that are, you know, maybe like Justin and Randy's age that are, that are maybe closer to my age than your age have had the, the same career, um, the same day over their entire career. Mm -hmm. Younger people in the profession, be they dentists, hygienists, or, or anybody else, is not going to be that. It is a series of five-year sprints. Yeah. So we think about, yeah, building a practice, building a group, uh, creating success, being innovative, all that. 
it's not a 30-year endeavor anymore, in my opinion. It, you should break it down into chunks yeah. that are probably around five-year horizons. And, and look, I love 10-year plans as much as the next person, and I love you know, quarterly planning sessions and strategic plans and big, hairy, audacious goals and all that other kind of stuff. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I, the startup world for me, since I left Patterson, has placed an importance on me in terms of being flexible, being opportunistic and learning how to pivot and move fast. And that ain't easy for somebody who's mid-career who came out of a corporate setting. And it is not my first nature to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're going to be a, a nimble business owner um, and, and really be built, built for the long haul, the long haul is not one day repeated over 30 years. It's probably like a series of five to six sprints in the interim, and that business is going to change a lot over time. Wow. That was really well said, and I feel that very deeply. I, I graduated in 2007. I have a political science degree before I went into dentistry, um, which I never thought would be valuable until this very moment in my life in the last five years. Yeah. Three and a, three and a half years where I'm, I'm recollecting things read and learned that are now being, being used in my day-to-day -day life when I never thought they would be. And I agree with you, the next few years of my life, of me opening a practice and getting to profitability and scaling, um, will be very different. Into, we'll, we'll be sitting at this table, hopefully, in the same spot in, in five years from now and having a very different conversation. Sure. And you're right, the 10-year plan is, is too spread out because technology and our industry is changing so much, whereas perhaps 20 years ago, 10 years was 10 years. You know, Things were slowly changing, but yep. not as rapidly as they are now. And if you're not moving forward, you're falling behind. And I, I think it's not wise to say that you know, I made X number of dollars last year. Right. And I'm extremely confident that that's going to continue every year for 10 years unabated. Right. Like, that's not the world we live in. No. You know, so some of the, the competitive pressures and the, the threats, yeah. external threats, force changes upon your business that you cannot control. And that's why you have to be um, innovative, loosely put, you know, from a, a standpoint of recreating the business proactively uh, and continuously over a period of time to to ensure that. Awesome. Well, I'm excited for part two of this episode yeah. where we talk about your next step and your next journey, which I believe is Polaris. Sure. Uh, so stay tuned for part two of this episode, and uh, we'll, we'll chat with you soon. Looking forward to it. Oh, hi. So you made it all the way to the end. Thank you for sticking around, and I hope you enjoyed this episode, found it informative, entertaining, and of course, as per usual, find me hilarious. If you liked what you heard, it would really mean a lot to me if you could show your support by liking, commenting, or sharing this episode with a friend or family member. Your feedback and engagement helped me get on the mic today, and it would also improve our future shows and reach more people who maybe could benefit from our content as well. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to my podcast on your favorite platform or on YouTube. Follow along on this crazy journey with me at toothlife.irene and at toothordare.podcast on Instagram and Twitter. That way you'll be the first to know when episodes are released and you won't miss a beat. I appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more great episodes in the future. From my team to yours, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the flip side.